you will please turn in your copy of your scriptures to Hosea chapter 10. Hosea chapter 10, I believe it can be found on page 756 in the Bibles and the chairs in front of you. And as you're turning there, I would just like to make a plug that if you want to learn more about Cornerstone and our ministry and our missions and what we're doing, you want to learn more about the faith, more about Reformed theology or anything like that, you're welcome to stay for our new members class. It will meet right over here to my right, right after the service. Uh, if you'd like to join the church, it's required that you come to the class, but just because you come to the class doesn't mean you have to join. So a great way to learn more about us and many other things. love to have you join me. Hosea chapter 10 is our text this morning. This is God's holy, inerrant, authoritative word to us this morning. Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. As his country improved, his, he improved his pillars. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. The Lord will break down their altars and destroy their pillars. For now they will say, we have no king, for we do not fear the Lord. And a king, what could he do for us? They utter mere words. With empty oaths, they make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. The inhabitants of Samaria tremble for the calf of beth Aven. Its people mourn for it, and so do its idolatrous priests, those who rejoice over it and over its glory, for it has departed from them. The thing itself shall be carried to Assyria as a tribute to the great king. Ephraim shall be put to shame, and Israel shall be ashamed of his idol. Samaria's king shall perish like a twig on the face of the waters. The high places of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. Thorn and thistle shall grow up on their altars. And they shall say to the mountains, cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. From the days of Gibeah you have sinned, O Israel. There they have continued. Shall not the war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? When I please, I will discipline them. And nations shall be gathered against them when they are bound up for their double iniquity. Ephraim was a trained calf that loved to thresh, and I spared her fair neck. But I will put Ephraim to the yoke. Judah must plow. Jacob must harrow for himself. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. You have plowed iniquity, you have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies. Because you have trusted in your own way and in the multitude of your warriors, therefore the tumult of war shall arise among your people, and all your fortresses shall be destroyed. Shalman destroyed Beth Arbel on the day of battle. Mothers were dashed in pieces with their children. Thus it shall be done to you, O Bethel. Because of your great evil, at dawn the king of Israel shall be utterly cut off. Let's pray. Father, how devastating these words are. 
how hard they are to read. Lord, they're confusing, they're they're troublesome, and yet we know they're for us. We know they're for your people, and we know that you must teach us and instruct us in the way that we should go. And so, Holy Spirit, guide our hearts, we pray, as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the biggest problems that people have believing in God is that they struggle with a God of judgment. Understanding or hearing preached and taught or recited that God is a just God and that he judges sinners, it's hard for people to hear. They ask questions like, why would a loving God punish anyone? Why doesn't God just let mankind live in their own happiness and do whatever they want? Or they may say things like, the Old Testament doesn't seem to portray a loving God. So go the questions, so go the judgment that people struggle with. And now we're ten chapters into the book of Hosea. And they have not exactly been ten lovely chapters. (laughs) They've been hard to read. They've been hard to study. They've been very convicting. And as we've read these chapters, though, we've seen a common theme. We've begun to trace what Yahweh God is doing in the life of his people. But we've also begun to see a common theme in the life of the people that they were wicked people. They were an unfaithful people. They were like an adulterous wife they are compared with. And so perhaps the more balanced question for us this morning, as we have read through 10 chapters, why would God even bother loving a people that are so unfaithful? Why? Why doesn't he just destroy them? I mean, they're worse than an unruly child. They're worse than an adulterous wife. Why does he continue to love him? The honest truth is, upon careful study of the Old Testament and most certainly the book of Hosea, is what we see is it's not about the people, is it? It's about God. The Old Testament is about God, especially Hosea. God is a loving God. He is a patient God. He is a a merciful God. The patience and long-suffering that God uses with his people Israel is amazing. If you and I were God, let's be honest, we would have been done with Israel a long time ago. Hosea chapter 10, though, records for us kind of the same old, same old. For almost 10 chapters, we have seen the people's unfaithfulness and how they continue down the path of spiritual infidelity. Israel claimed to love God. Hey, God, we love you, but their actions show different. Their actions show that they were unfaithful. They claimed truth. Hey, we love the truth but they practiced deceit. They professed righteousness, but they practiced 
wickedness. And yet, in verse 12, look in Hosea chapter 10, verse 12 with me. We find some of the sweetest words thrown right into the middle of the threat of judgment and accusations that are against the wickedness of God's people. In verse 12, we find a call to faith and repentance, very much like the words of Jesus in the New Testament when he was calling people to repent and to believe. The call here in verse 12, and really in all of Scripture, is, is not, hey, guys, be good for goodness sake. Now, the call here is to be faithful, that the Lord may come and rain righteousness upon you. Do the promises of God get any more amazing than that? Do they? Could you think of a more amazing promise than that, that God wants to rain righteousness? Upon you. He desires mercy, not sacrifice, Hosea's told us. God wants to spiritually bless his people in ways far greater than they can imagine. He wants to do, as the words of Zephaniah 3:17, one of the other prophets, minor prophets we read about in the Old Testament. Zephaniah 3.17, I bet you've heard these words before. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. God wants to sing over his people. He wants to glory over them. He wants to rain righteousness upon his people. Oh, Christian, know this morning, God wants to rain righteousness upon you and bless you. But if you would be faithful to him, he is calling us to faithfulness. And so in Hosea chapter 10, there's a lot going on. I can't go through verse by verse this morning and tell you exactly everything that's going on. But just to summarize this prophetic language this is the prophet Hosea is a preacher he's preaching to the the sinful people he's trying to call them to repent he's God's vessel to restore the people to right relationship with him and so chapter after chapter he's preaching them he's to them he's prophesying to them and here in this chapter they're being compared to a, an extravagant vine or to a stubborn heifer and calf and all of these metaphors Hosea is using to call the people to repentance, to help them to see their wayward ways and to turn to God. And so in this chapter I read and we discover lots of names and lots of places which may be unfamiliar to you. But essentially all these names and all these places that we read about in Hosea chapter 10, they're talking about Israel, God's people. And so when you read the word or the name Ephraim or Samaria or Bethel, they're all referring to God's people, Israel. But what is really going on in Hosea chapter 10 is the doctrine that we often find in the Old Testament scriptures called the doctrine of the two ways. 
the two ways. This doctrine teaches that there are two ways to live. There are two paths in which we can take in the Christian life. The way of the righteous, or the way of the wicked. The way of good, or the way of evil. The way of the world, or the way of the disciple, the way of godliness. We see those two ways played out over and over and over in Scripture. There are two ways in which we can go. But it's clear in chapter 10 and thus far in our study of Hosea that Israel has a divided heart. They are striving to maintain a level of godliness and faithfulness to Yahweh God, but they're not fully committed to Him. They are continuing to mix idolatrous religion and idolatrous practice into their ways of life and into their way of worship. They're like an adulterous wife. They want all the benefits of being married to Yahweh, their God, their husband. But they like to seek their own pleasure as well. They, they want to go and explore what other things they might be missing out on. But Yahweh God will have none of this. He will have none of it. He is a jealous God. He has declared over and over and over again, specifically in the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. And you shall not worship an idol or anything in my representation, he says. You shall not bow down to them, you shall not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God does not love, does not appreciate is not in to their half-hearted devotion to him. If we had more time, I would have you turn to Psalm 1 this morning, but let me encourage you to go read Psalm 1 this week. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks in the ways of God, but it also talks about cursed is the wicked who does not follow God. Psalm 1 gives us this two ways of living a godly life, very clear, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. The righteous will be blessed. They will prosper because they are seeking the Lord their God with all their heart. But the way of the wicked will be utterly useless. And in fact, the way of the wicked will perish, the Bible says. And so this is the proposition that is before us this morning in Hosea chapter 10. This is what is before Israel and it's clearly spelled out for us in verses 12 through 13 of Hosea chapter 10. Will you seek the Lord and pursue righteousness? Or will you trust in yourself and thus continue in your sinful ways? Those are the two ways. Will you seek the Lord and pursue righteousness? Or will you trust in yourself and thus continue in your sinful ways? So the first way here. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this is the correct way. Verse 12, the way of the righteous. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. We find in verse 12 the command and the call of the disciple. 
The disciple is the one who would follow the Lord. We are not given here a suggestion. Hey, here's something you might want to do to honor God. This is something that would be a good idea. No, we are told this is the way to pursue a godly life. We are called to sow for yourselves righteousness. We are called to sow righteousness. We have noted before that this is an agricultural term, sow. It means to plant. It's a a farming term. And it means to sow righteousness means that we are to pursue in our lives what God deems as right. To sow righteousness means to pursue godliness. To do what God says is right. To pursue righteousness is also covenantal language. We talked about that last week. The covenant is the promises that God has made with his people. If we would be faithful, we would follow him. We would love him with our whole heart. He will bless us. He will rain righteousness upon us. It's a call for God's people to turn from their sin and to turn to God. To sow righteousness is a call to be faithful and to seek the Lord with all your heart. But we also find another command here in verse 12 that deals with discipleship, that talks about the way of the righteous. And that is we are to break up our fallow ground. Break up your fallow ground. You see, that's what makes churches so confusing, is we say things like break up your fallow ground. (laughs) What does that mean? Well, again, it's an agrarian term. It's a farming term. It's trying to, uh, to relate to God's people. Hosea is trying to get them to repent and to turn to God. And he's, he's using every metaphor. He's using every language he could possibly use to get them to see their unfaithful ways and to turn to him. And so fallow ground is ground that has not been worked or plowed. It's, it's ground that is not ready to produce crops. You know, some of the worst ground I could think of is located over here north of our building. It's, it's full of kudzu. If, if, if kudzu is not the curse of the fall, I don't know what is. Hey, yes, don't blame him. You know, that ground, you couldn't go plant anything out there. It's worthless ground. It would have to be broken up and, and tilled and cut back and worked amazingly to be ready to be usable because Fallow ground is hard. It's unusable. Fallow ground cannot be fruitful or useful unless it is cultivated. So preparing fallow ground is is hard. It's very laborious work. Any of you who are hunters and you've been out there getting your deer plots ready, (laughs) it is hard work to get ground ready to be fruitful. So the call in, in the Christian life to, to break up your fallow ground is a call of sanctification. To break up your fallow ground is what the theologians call sanctification, what the Apostle Paul taught. Sanctification is the call in the Christian life to be rid of sin and to pursue righteousness. That's what sanctification is to die more and more to sin, to to strive to stop sinning, and to live more and more to righteousness, to doing what God calls is right. 
And so for the believer, for the child of God, and for the one who would pursue a faithful relationship with God, the call to break up the fallow ground is the call to be rid of sin and to cultivate a life of righteousness. That is what it means to break up the fallow ground. The fallow ground, if you haven't figured it out already, is your heart. We are the fallow ground. This call to break up the fallow ground of our hearts, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard because sin is torturous. Sin is devastating. Sin wreaks havoc on our lives and on our hearts. And so ridding our lives of sin is, is very hard. It's very difficult. Much like breaking up the fallow ground for farming is. It's difficult because sin, if sin, any sin, has become a habit in your life. If sin has become routine in your life, then change is hard. Change is difficult. Change, ridding of our lives of sin, it's a battle. It's spiritual warfare going on in our lives and in our hearts. But know this, don't get discouraged in the battle. Don't fall down on the job when it comes to breaking up the fallow ground of your heart. Hear what Pastor Tim Chester says. The battle with sin is often painful, but it is worth it. It leads to joy. The battle with sin is often painful, much like farming and breaking up fallow ground. It's hard, it's laborious, but it's worth it. Because it leads to your joy. This battle with sin, it it doesn't involve sitting around and and hoping and and, and wishing that, that it will be different and that change might come. No, it involves action. Breaking up the fallow ground does not mean sitting there waiting for the rain to come or, you know, God to rain down boulders or something to break up the ground. It It involves action. Much like we read this morning in our New Testament reading, 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Apostle Paul was very clear about our role in breaking up the fallow ground and pursuing sanctification. He says to flee wickedness and to pursue righteousness. To seek the Lord. That is what he says in verse 12 of Hosea. It is time to seek the Lord. We must seek him. This involves action. We must break up the fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord, to put away sin and pursue righteousness. Notice very carefully that I'm not saying that there's two ways. You're either really good or you're really bad. Because the good way, the righteous way, are those who know they are sinful, Those who know that their fallow ground must be broken up, must be tilled, must be worked and cultivated. There's still this battle with sin that we must fight. Break up the fallow ground. All of these images are calling God's people to faith and repentance. 
Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Turn from your wickedness is what the scriptures are saying. And when we do this, when we pursue this righteousness that we're being called to, there are two amazing promises that are given to us here in verse 12. Those who seek the Lord, those who pursue righteousness and break up the fallow ground, they will reap steadfast love. Remember, a reaping is the harvest, is the gathering of the fruit and of the crops. And when we pursue these things in the Christian life, we are guaranteed a reaping of steadfast love. It's that wonderful Hebrew word, hesed. Hesed. It means unfailing love. It means loyal love. It means a never-ending, never-dying, never-giving-up, always Faithful love from God. That is what we receive when we pursue him. When we pursue him in covenant love, we will reap steadfast love. And then, as we've already said before, those who pursue righteousness, the way of godliness, God will rain righteousness down on you. This is the experience and the joy of knowing God and being known by him. He will shower you with his love and righteousness. And this verse, this little promise, this little sweet word that we find in the middle. I mean, I wish I could ignore the other verses in Hosea chapter 10, don't you? Can we just read verse 12? But they are there for us. And these words are actually foreshadowing a hope that is ahead for God's people. And let me just read that for you. In chapter 14, I'm going to go ahead and tell you the ending. It's not like the new Star Wars trailer coming out. We have no idea what's going to happen, but everybody's guessing, right? But we know what's going to happen to God's people. Hosea chapter 14, God says, I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive and his fragrance like Lebanon. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Lebanon must have had some awesome wine. It must have been famous, for they will be loved like that. That is what God wants to do to those who pursue him in righteousness. But in verse 13, we do see the principle again of you reap what you sow. We see in verse 13 the way of the wicked. Instead of doing these things that you're being called to in verse 12, you have instead, the people, verse 13, have plowed iniquity. And because of this, they will reap injustice. They have eaten the fruit of lies because they have trusted in their own way and in the multitude of their own warriors. See, there's another principle at work here, and I laid that principle out for us here. We are warned not to pursue wickedness or the way of the wicked. We are not to pursue the way of error and evil and sin. We are to pursue the way of righteousness, but the way of the wicked also has a reaping. 
The way of the wicked is threefold here, according to verse 13. What are they doing? They're plowing iniquity. Again, there's that farming language. Instead of breaking up the fallow ground and preparing it for righteousness, they're actually cultivating their sin. They're trying to see what they can do to practice more sin. Number two, they are eating the fruit of lives. They're literally feeding their ungodliness. They're looking for more ways to sin. Number three, they, the way of the wicked is also the way to trust, of trust in yourself. They, they only trusted in themselves. They look at verse 13. We've, we've got a multitude of warriors. Look how strong we are. Nothing can stop us. Total trust in self. They were living only for themselves. They were doing only what pleased themselves. This is the way of the wicked. This is the wicked and sinful way of life. It is not pleasing to God. And therefore, the call for us is to avoid anything that moves us along the path of wickedness and sin. We're to pursue righteousness. But it's hard, right? We've already talked about it. It's a battle. It's hard to avoid sin and temptation completely. No one can claim that they are without sin and without struggle. None of us can. We all still struggle in the Christian life. It is a battle. But we must be aware of those things that tend to feed our temptations to sin. We must be watchful and careful and know those things that are leading us along the path of wickedness. So, so what is that for you this morning? What is that for you in your life right now? What is the... What is it that feeds your temptation to sin? What is it that is essentially causing you to form a habit of sin? Is it, is it too much TV or too much computer time? Is it a job that's unhealthy for your family and unhealthy for your spiritual life? Young folks, is it friends? And, and your, those friends of yours, their goal is simply to get you to sin. I'm going to see if I can get this person on the path of wickedness instead of righteousness. <laughs> For all of us, is it some relationship that we're obsessing over that is leading us down the path of wickedness and sin? What, what is it for you this morning? What is it that you need to plow out of your life? You see, sanctification, or as the theologians also called it, mortification. Mortification is that process of dying to sin, putting sin to death. Sanctification and mortification are a lot like farming or gardening. And we have to weed sin out of our lives. We must remove temptation and things from our lives that may take root. And cause deep harm to us. Breaking up the fallow ground. Cultivating our hearts by pulling up the weeds of sin. And replanting good fruit. Good seed. It's a constant task. It's a daily thing in our lives. 
pulling up the weeds, planting the good. And we must not wait. We must be active in this. As that great hymn, Come Ye Sinner, says, if we tarry till we're better, we will never come at all. We must not tarry. We must not wait. We must daily die to sin and live to righteousness. We not only weed out the sin in our lives, but we also are called to sow to the Spirit. This means to pursue righteousness. And we do this by daily feeding upon the gospel. We do this by the means of grace. We do this together as a church, as God's people. We are called to use all the spiritual weapons and blessings that God has given to us in order to plant the seeds of the gospel and to pursue righteousness in our lives. Again, Tim Chester says, one of the ways to keep down sin in your life is to ensure that the gospel of Jesus is crowding out sin. One of the ways to keep down sin in your life is to ensure that the gospel of Jesus is crowding out sin. The more we relish in the glory and grace of Christ, the less the temptations of sin will be attractive to us. Oh, how true. So what are the ways in your life right now? What are the ways in your life right now that you can sow more to the Spirit and to righteousness? What do you need to stop doing? And more importantly, what do you need to start doing? This principle is here again. We cannot escape it. We reap what we sow. If you sow the way of wickedness, giving in to sinful desires, then you will reap destruction. But if you sow to righteousness, breaking up the fallow ground of your heart, then you can expect good fruit. You can expect a harvest. You may feel hopeless this morning. You may feel utterly convicted by these words. You may be thinking to yourself, there is no way I can be rescued from my sin. You may be thinking to yourself, there's no way that you could even be forgiven of your sin. Friend, let me tell you this morning, there's still time to repent. There's still time to turn from sin and to turn to righteousness. God has not abandoned you. Look how patient and long-suffering he has been with his people, Israel. Think about how his grace is extended to you this morning. He's allowed you to be here. He has called you to be here this morning and to listen to this word. And he wants you to hear this call to repent and to pursue righteousness and faithfulness and peace along with all of those who call upon the name of the Lord. There's no doubt God is calling you this morning. You know, in Hosea chapter 10, in the whole book of the Bible, it, it may lead you frustrated. It may lead you feeling convicted to the point where you feel like there is no point. I'm a sinner, and I'm stuck. That may be where you are this morning. 
And if it is, then do the one thing and the one thing only that you can do this morning. Run to Jesus. Fly to his arms. Go to the Savior who is able to keep you from falling and to restore you to a right relationship with God the Father. We sang this morning in the offertory that last verse. Poor bankrupt souls who feel and know the hell of sin within. Come boldly to the throne of grace. The Lord Jesus will take you in. He will take you in. Will you come to him this morning? Let's pray. Father, we confess to you this morning that we are often confused about the Christian life. We either give up because we think it's too hard or we simply sit in the recliner of life and just expect something to happen. And Lord, we see clearly that you are calling us to pursue righteousness and to be rid of sin and temptation in our lives. And this is not something we could do for ourselves. We need grace and strength. We praise you and thank you. You've given us the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the helper, the spirit of truth who will help us. That great promise, Lord Jesus, that you will always be with us and dwell in us. Father, if there is someone here this morning who has not run to Jesus before, who has not fallen at the foot of the cross, and loved him and worshipped him. Lord, would you call them to do that? And for those of us, Lord, who continue to struggle and battle in the Christian life, who get to the point at times where we feel like we're hopeless, we're tired, we're weary. Lord, help us to come boldly to the throne of grace. For Jesus always takes us in. And so we praise him and thank you for the lamb who was slain. For it is in his name that we pray. Amen.